0: Uh, Acts chapter 17, then, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 16. This is part of the time that Paul uh, spends in Athens. And you'll see as he started that it's in the middle of uh, one of his missionary uh, journeys, and he, all this happens as Paul is simply waiting there. Uh, so Acts uh, 17, beginning with verse 16, hear the word of God. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the, the resurrection. The word there is like sounds like anastasia, um, and they, they took him up. Uh, they took up and brought him, took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean." For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. These times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness By a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I pray that it would among us tonight. It's it's easy to be drawn into the hole of complacency, especially if you're just waiting around. Paul here is just just waiting around. It's it's easy to be drawn into the hole of complacency of just not wanting to act and do and to engage in anything. Maybe calling it like a dark hole is a little bit, a little bit harsh, right? It's more of a, more of a cozy place. It's, a, it's a cozy, a comfortable couch that we just seep back into. Maybe, maybe complacency is like a really nice plush lazy boy. Just kind of like plop in, got the little handle on the side, kick the feet out. And then once you're in, and once you're leaning back like that, like even if you didn't have the remote right next to you, you're like, uh, can someone get that for me? Like, it's just this, like don't want to move, don't want to. Uh, easier not them not to do, uh, can draw us in. Sometimes that could just be a self-satisfied circle of friends and relationships that just don't rock the the boat too must and meet enough of each other's needs. Maybe that could just be a um, like a nice new smartphone. <laughs> right? and it's mesmerizing. You spend all your time like there's so much to look at, so many things to find out about. Then uh, there's like Candy Crush and there's, and there's YouTube and there's all these things that just get drawn into it. Maybe we find amazing things that are going on in the world, that uh, things that need to be changed even, and we just like, like <laughs> that someone's doing something about it, and it's a lot harder to actually engage or move toward. And, um, so many things that we, that we have, uh, that we can enjoy uh, now, that make, make working for change just a little bit less desirable. Not because those things aren't important, but, but we just kind of enjoy what we have. Uh, There are things that are worth talking about occasionally, maybe we would say, uh, but but taking action seems far more like, maybe later, we'll get to that, maybe tomorrow, right? I'm really going to see why this matters. Um, One of the things I want you to see in this passage, and and it's true throughout Acts, what's true of the church of Jesus, what's true of his kingdom, and as Christianity is developing that from the beginning, the church of Jesus continues to move past complacency. Um, I, I would expect this would just be like one of those things in this chapter that didn't happen, right? It like doesn't get a whole paragraph in a chapter of, of scripture. Paul was going through these journeys. He was here. He was meeting people over there. And so now he's in Athens and he's waiting. And then just like all, all this stuff uh, happens. Um, When I'm just waiting, time tends to pass. I scroll through some more things on Facebook, you know, like I catch up on some important, interesting entertainment articles that I, you know, found out what people are saying about the debate last night when I'm waiting. Um, So we're just complacent when we have and not much happens here um, because uh, Christ is raised and reigning and leading his uh, church and kingdom uh, forward. Uh, Paul's not complacent. The church is not complacent. We're never just, just stuck where we are. Jesus is always uh, doing more and drawing us uh, into it. Um, sitting still is, is like is being left behind. If Christ is continuing to move things forward, and being being apathetic does, doesn't fit when Jesus is saying, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Uh, when He sends us out as His uh, His witnesses. Uh, And certainly complacency couldn't describe any part of Paul's missionary journey when you look at how he just keeps traveling uh, through uh, all the areas uh, there. Uh, And it's never a a fitting description of a healthy church or or a healthy Christian. Um, And I think we especially see this in Acts 17. So we're going to look at three different sides of this. Most of these uh, things we're looking at, the church, uh, the the last word in Acts is this unhindered, right? That all these things that get in the way, it still moves forward uh, unhindered. Uh, I don't think uncomplacent is a word, but still here, it's, it's a word tonight, okay, just just go with me, just go with me on that. Um, uh, Christ's church, his kingdom, his people, because he is reigning, because he is at work, are not complacent, we're uncomplacent. Uh, and we're going to look at three different sides of it, uh, uh, help, uh, <coughs> hurting, helping, and hoping, okay? Um, Millennial generation is known for not being complacent. all right? For looking and seeing things that need to change and beginning to move toward that. Uh, for targeting that, for raising awareness about things. I don't think raising awareness was like a popular word two decades ago. Like now, like raising everything is like another raising awareness of these things. See what, see what needs to happen and how we go forward. But people at times have talked about the millennial generation also getting very excited about things, but then you start to move toward these huge uh, problems and man, it can wear you out fast. Uh, and you can see some of your inability to tackle the huge things that loom uh, in the world or even just around you and in your community. Um, as we go through this, as we look at how Jesus is working, I want you to just ask yourself where you fall on the, the apathy to activist spectrum. As uh, you see things that are, that are needs uh, around you, where do you tend to fall on the apathy uh, to activist spectrum, and especially when it comes to a religious view. I always say, like, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you're not sure if you'd want to be a Christian. still, so where, where do you fall on this in relation to religious views? Uh, there's an article uh, from a little while back, but I still continue to go back to it and love it, uh, where this author con- coins uh, a term, apathyism, right? Not just apathy, but as it relates to religion, apathyism. Uh, Jonathan Rouse, and he says in this article, uh, talks about devout uh, religious people. He says, I have uh, Christian friends who organize their lives around an intense and personal relationship with God, but, he goes on, who betray no signs of caring that I am an unrepentantly atheistic Jewish homosexual. He says one of the big things in religion now is just one of the big aspects of what he wants to call apotheism is not caring about other people's religious beliefs, where they're at, or why it would matter. So, so whether you're a Christian or not, we look at this passage. What do you think of Jesus? And what do you think of an uncomplacent Christianity here? And how Paul responds as he's waiting in Athens. First thing I want you to look at is, is hurting. That's how the passage uh, starts. Or maybe you can say one of, the, one of the couch cushions uh, supporting complacency is, is not wanting to hurt. Uh, not wanting to engage in pain, or, but wanting to avoid it, right? Change is difficult. Uh, you move up to Tallahassee, if this wasn't where you're from, and you come in, or you come in uh, some other point, or after Tallahassee, you leave, and you leave most of your college friends, and you go to a new place, and you start a new job, and you're like, it can be painful. Uh, change is hard, find a new place to live, new circles of relationships, how you're supposed to spend your time, uh, taking up all these things. Change, change can be difficult. Uh, Change, even when it's changed for the better, uh, working towards and working against uh, difficult uh, things, it's it's hard to engage in. And when we're personally okay, when things are going all right with us, generally we just try to avoid engaging uh, in something painful. This passage mentions uh, two philosophers that start, or two groups of philosophers, schools of philosophy that start talking uh, with Paul the Stoics and the Epicureans. Uh, Both of these, you don't need to know a lot about them, but they're uh, ethical philosophies. They were concerned with what's the good life. How do, how do we find a fulfilling and good life? And both of them looked at it in terms of the avoidance of pain. Uh, so Stoics, particularly in terms of the, the ups and downs of life, how do you grab hold of things so the ups and downs of life don't, don't affect you? You're, you're unperturbed. Uh, you're untroubled. Uh, you're avoiding pain. And Epicureans more pursuing uh, that pleasure, remaining uh, fixed on it, uh, all these things. And avoiding that pain. And when it comes to the gospel... Uh, At the very center of the gospel is hurt, um, is deep hurt. We speak of the deep love of Jesus because of the deep hurt and sacrifice that he went through. We look at the crucifixion, uh, where he was condemned and rejected and engaged in pain uh, so that we might have life and hope. It's a pain that Jesus knowingly and willingly engaged in in the place of sinners uh, to, to rescue us. Now, at the beginning of this passage, what motivates uh, Paul, what motivates this whole narrative, is, is hurt. Right? You see the way it is in, in verse 16 there? While Paul was waiting for them, his spirit was provoked within him. When he saw that the city was full of idols. Uh, he looked around at the religious views all around him, and within him, inwardly, he was in turmoil and in pain. It hurt him. His spirit was provoked uh, in it. When he saw the city was full of idols. He doesn't then go on a rampage of hate against the uh, the city, right? Uh, Calling down God's condemnation against all this wrong that's there. Uh, He doesn't just go try to buy the next uh, bus ticket out or or send a letter to get people to to meet him there earlier so they can leave. He's not avoiding uh, the people of Athens. He's not avoiding the uh, the places in Athens. Uh, And he's not avoiding the pain of seeing the sinfulness there. Uh, but he in, he engages it. Uh, he engages the painful truth of a rampant idolatry, and he <coughs> hurts uh, for a city that's full of us, full of it. And it's this hurting that moves Paul, uh, that motivates him to engage people. It says from the from the synagogues, people that would know things about Scripture, the, the Jews are the devout persons that would uh, come to the synagogue and hear God's word, but even to the marketplace, every day he's talking with people. All because his hurt moves him to engage uh, towards others. Um, I love to avoid pain. Uh, I think we tend to look for things that, that numb the pain. I scroll through my, my smartphone looking for something else that's, that's interesting, that's exciting, that kind of lifts up for just a little bit, right? Right. Maybe it's that encouraging thing. Maybe it's just more pictures of cats, right, or, or dogs and cats snuggling together. And you're like, oh, all right, that's not what I'm to stop on. But but still, it's out there, and it's out there because people love it. Um, you know, the time you can spend on Netflix, like half the time, I'm not really looking for something exciting. I'm just looking for something that helps avoid the pain. Give me something else to think about, right? Um, and, and Paul here uh, sees sees the pain all around him and sees uh, the idolatry of it and he, he engages in that hurt and moves toward people uh, with compassion and care and right, acknowledging it and seeing it and still moving towards it, that just, that just makes it more real or, or acknowledges more the reality uh, of it. Uh, do you let yourself hurt for people around you? At FSU, in Tallahassee. Um, I had to fill out recently... Uh, a, uh, REF, we do support raising, right? So I've like an uh, application for missionary support, and I was supposed to uh, fill out what was the, the hardest hardest thing in ministry that I'd I've, I've experienced. <laughs> various things came to mind, various difficult uh, circumstances and hard times, and difficult, uh, but, but then I thought about those things, and then I just stopped, and I was like, no. Um, the, the thing that pains me most doing campus ministry at FSU for, for 12 years now uh, is every year watching students uh, come through this campus and so many of them have so little uh, interest in hearing about Jesus uh, and hearing about the Bible. Um, and I love y'all. And I love the things that come through RUF and I love seeing how God works in it. But there's a. There's a pain of being here and looking around and knowing and seeing a place full of let's say idolatries, um, and not not looking to Jesus. Uh, Paul sees that and he moves toward them. He continues to to engage in this instead of just avoiding uh, the pain. Right? Maybe we could say there's not a lot of like temples uh, in Tallahassee. It's not like Athens where you have like here's the Acropolis and here's the temple to Athena and here's all these other uh, things in the marketplace. like here's your gold god and your silver god and your stone god and all these different things. Um, we'd say people aren't selling in images to worship or um, different way of looking at idolatries. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller in Counterfeit God says, says this. He says an idol is whatever you look and say in your heart of hearts If I have that, if I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning. It's an idol. If I have that, then I feel my life will have meaning, then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Because Owen says there's many different ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. And all of a sudden that idolatry tends to make a lot more sense. And You still see it now, not in same type of temples and uh, goddess Athena. But some of the chapters in his book, he's got a chapter on money and stuff. It'll make us happy. Uh, love, success, power, and you could go on. But one of the especially accent. one of the ways that scripture talks about idols, a lot of times there's this phrase on the ESV, it's worthless idols. Some of the older translations, is vain idols or meaningless idols. It's part of the same word that, that gets used in Ecclesiastes. It's an emptiness. Uh, to speak in terms of the emptiness uh, of idolatry, um, right, because we agree, like those little stone things, or even if it's a big gold thing, right, like it's not actually a god, I'm not afraid of going to Athens, and what if I actually bump one of those old you know, statues and something else falls off the goddess's elbow or something, I might, I might be afraid that I would get in trouble with the Greek authorities if I was in a place I shouldn't be, right, but I'm not worried about that there was some god associated with it that now is going to do something to me, it was, it was empty, it's nothing, Um, I want you to think about the emptiness at FSU, in Tallahassee, and and around you. Uh, Do you let yourself hurt for the emptiness uh, around you? For the emptiness that that you experience as well. Uh, The emptiness maybe of bouncing from relationship to relationship. That's dating relationships or friendships. Maybe it's just bouncing from hookup to hookup. And sometimes it just ends up being from breakup to another breakup. The emptiness of body image obsession. This never content. That just always magnifies whatever imperfections are perceived. Um, Even the emptiness of of over- overworking for being a good, responsible person or successful student, um, putting, putting the grades and significance, and then if those aren't there or they aren't the top of the line, then somehow some the bottom drops out. Um, people that consider suicide, as they're, they're just saying, what's the purpose of my life if I'm not meeting these things that I thought were going to fulfill? But there's an emptiness. Or how we just gorge ourselves um, with entertainment by the season full just keep it streaming, um, and then still we find ourselves bored. Entertainment, entertainment, and we're still so bored. There's an, there's an emptiness to it. Uh, there's so much emptiness uh, here among uh, college students, a city full of, of idols, a city full of, of emptiness. And notice here, Paul doesn't just say uh, merely that he hurts for others. He, hurt, he does. He hurts uh, for uh, their pain. He hurts for their, uh, their, their emptiness as their pulling all this devotion and energy into these idols and hoping that hoping, Athena's gonna give me wisdom or here's gonna give me strength, and this is things are gonna work out if I make these sacrifices, if I bow down to all this, and still they're just trying to find more idols to push into that, right? Uh, yes, he hurts for that, but specifically part of why his spirit is provoked, he, he hurts for God. Uh, it's it's a primarily toward God that he's he's provoked in spirit because God's desert. God doesn't leave people empty, and God is the fullness, and all that devotion deserves to be worshiped to the one God who fulfills, who he's proclaiming how God has given himself and given his son to fill that void. And here they are just giving all of that, rejecting God, and giving all of that somewhere else. Instead of just pushing it away, condemning it, moving away from it, he engages in that hurt. And because in that waiting he engaged that pain and that hurt and cared for God's glory and for people's well being, it moves him to action. Uh, moves him uh, to, uh, to helping. So i moved move the second point there. Moves him to help. Being, uh, being uncomplacent, to use that as a word, uh, right? It involves more than just caring, it involves more than just emotions. It involves not only passion, but it involves action towards change, right? Um, If I say, I really do care that you went through a breakup, I just don't want to hear about it anymore. You're like, no, no, no. Uh, You don't care. You're just trying to move away from it. You're you're complacent. You don't want to uh, get involved in it. I really do uh, care about uh, uh, human sex trafficking, but I just also enjoy watching a lot of pornography. I'm sure there's no correlation or effect on any of those industries there. I really do care about poverty. Um, I've just never actually spent any time with, Someone who is impoverished, living and their family having lived below the poverty line, and what's that like? And how do I, how do I engage with it? Right. Um, if, if we actually care, it affects our behavior. Uh, for Paul, uh, here it affects his behavior. He didn't just go, "Man, I was in this place in Athens. And it was so bad." Uh, he goes and he reasons with people and he talks uh, every day with whoever's there. He tries to tries to engage and have a conversation. Uh, from those who would, had interest in god 's word and others as he could uh, as he could have conversations with them and here 's the thing uh, that that Jesus is doing something about it the spirit is moving people uh, to join in now paul's response here is is great it's amazing uh, but I especially want to see how he's moving primarily as helping right so, okay, i could I could go on for you of like different articles in either books or different theological journals where people like spend a lot of time in act 17 because it's awesome right you can ask me more questions about like how paul how you see paul's view of apologetics a defense of the faith in act 17 how he engages people who don't know scripture and still uh, speaks of jesus what his evangelistic technique is and how should we model that and, like all these things because so many things of how paul talks here are just just amazing Uh, but sometimes we look at that and what we can do is just get intimidated. We're like, wow, Paul really knew how to do it. We're still with someone here like that who knew what all Paul knew how to do. And then maybe someone would do something and it can very easily just lead toward a a complacency in it. So I want to simplify this is what you see Paul doing here is helping. I really, I want to make it that simple, right? Uh, what you see Paul doing is, is moving uh, toward help and engaging seriously. What does he do? He sees a city full of idols. What does he see? He sees need. Uh, He sees need and he moves toward it with the only thing that meets that need. He moves toward it to help. Paul didn't come come to Athens like having this great strategy. Uh, for how he was going to uh, reach the city, proclaim the gospel to them. He didn't come with like this great strategy of how he was going to gather a very important uh, large audience and how he could uh, get them all to one of the biggest uh, and, and most important venues around. Right? It, it ends up there. But not by Paul's strategy, Paul's there and he hurt and he cared uh, for people's good and for, Paul, uh, for God's glory. And so he started trying to move toward help, toward speaking to that need and that brokenness. And God opened up opportunities beyond that. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the, all the strategies, uh, whether you're looking at your own uh, soul and struggles or your roommates or people on the campus and classmates, um, but to care enough to ask, to see people hurting and want to move toward them. Because uh, God's able to use you. He really, really is. Jesus is reigning all authority on heaven and earth is given to him. He's, he's able to use you. He's able to use your, your doubts and questioning him for yourself. He's able to use your not knowing how to talk about the gospel to your friend. Um, and God uh, delights in doing that. He wants to use you. He wants to involve us in his plan. Uh, that's what he's doing here. That's what we continue to see God doing. I think of the people around you. Do you know anyone who, who has needs? Do you know anyone who's lonely? Anyone who's depressed? Who's stressed out and anxious uh, and hurting? Um, wanting to escape? Because uh, let me tell you, you can talk to people at the counseling center like us, filling up all the time. Because uh, <coughs> this is you and this is everyone uh, that you know for the most part. Uh, Do do you see friends and classmates that are grasping for something that they don't know how to get uh, and trying to seek after it and and find it? Even if that's just like wishing that their weekend had something more. At the end of one weekend, like, all right, what are we going to do next weekend? How can I have something uh, more from that weekend that that the excitement of it mattered more, felt more significant? Not just another way of spinning wheels and wasting time. I'm doing the next thing that's supposed to feel good in college. And as, as you see uh, the needs around you, Jesus urges you into helping, into engaging, into uncomplacency. Uh, because his glory matters, and those people uh, matter. Um, maybe that's just small conversations. Uh, and if he wants to use you in that, he can. If he wants to open up bigger opportunities through that, uh, he, he's able to do that. Um, even Paul's speech here. Overall, what Paul's doing is just he just starts conversations. He's, he's reasoning with people. He's speaking to them about their need and about what speaks into it. But then people ask him, and they say, we want to know more about this. What, what are you talking about? We're going to set everything up, so you come, the Areopagus, and you speak uh, to, to a whole bunch of us because we're uh, curious about this. And as much as Paul's speech here uh, is impressive, it's also very basic. Uh, it's also very simple. Uh, and his approach. Verse twenty-three really gets at the whole idea of what he's talking about. Not like profound thing that Paul's doing. Yeah, verse twenty-three. Look at it. He says um, the very last sentence there: "What, therefore, you worship as unknown, this I'm going to tell you about. Uh, which, which, you're acknowledging yourself that you that you don't know, but you're still willing to give something toward that because you know there's some further need for, for fulfillment in it. I can I can tell you about that." Uh, He he describes how he had gone uh, in and seen that there was even this uh, altar with this inscription uh, to the unknown God. Um, And uh, I look at this without thinking that for Paul, man, that it's like that said it all. Uh, Here it is. And here's them seeing their their acknowledged. They even recognize that they don't know God. Uh, and still that there's, that there's some worship that they don't know how to offer, and all of that is right there on, on an image, on a very way that's, that's offensive uh, to God. Uh, they're, so, uh, they're so religious, which has another connotation that it says, men of Athens, I perceive that you're very religious, very, very superstitious is the other undercurrent of it, um, because what they have doesn't cut it, because they have idol after idol and temple after temple and more and more devotion because they're not sure that they've gotten it yet. They're still trying to do so. And even this empty attempt of an altar to the unknown God, in case we're missing uh, something out there, is also a veiled rejection of the one true God who makes himself known. Right? So so he takes this, he takes this shortcoming that they acknowledge, and he speaks the truth of the Bible unto them. You look at what Paul says, and as much as it's masterful, it's also pretty plain. He's like, You worship the unknown God. Well, I can tell you something about who that God is. Uh, he's, he's not a God that just that needs a temple or needs you to do something for him. He made everything, he made all the people within it. He doesn't need anything from us. In fact, everything we have comes from him. Uh, he made us in such a way to know him that we would seek him. And it's not that we can't know him, that he's unknowable. He made us to seek and find him. He starts quoting even some of their own uh, uh, people who would say in him we live and move and have our being. It's not that he's far away and we've got to make our way up to him. But God's made us, his way down uh, to us uh, fully in his son but making himself known to us. Listen, he's, he's just speaking the truth of what the God of the Bible is, how scripture talks about it. He just quotes scripture to him. I'm sure this is an abridgment of what all he said. But He's just <laughs> witnessing to the truth. That he's experienced to the truth of what God is, has said. Um, so to their ignorant worship, he explains how the true God's very different. And he draws out that their that ignorance that they acknowledge is, is, comes from ignoring God. Uh, it's not just a, an innocent ignorance, they're ignoring God. Because uh, they would say that God's not far from us, but here, if they don't know him, there's a refusal uh, to know him. God made us to need him and to seek him. He's not removed from us. And so then all the ways that they uh, pretend to worship God clearly belittle God. Right? If God is the one who's made everything, who doesn't need something from us, and now they're just taking these pieces of stone or metal and saying this is our God, and worshiping that as if that's God, their own poets have said we're his offspring. If we're his offspring, then He's at least not lower than we are. Right? He's he's at least more than that. Uh, and what they're doing instead is, um, instead of worshiping the one who's created them, they're worshiping their own creation. Right? They're making themselves into the one who generates what's worthwhile and what they should give themselves to. They're worshiping their own uh, creation instead of their creator. And still, Paul calls them to the way of repentance. Uh, that that. God may have overlooked all these things, but he calls him now through Jesus uh, to turn from it, to turn away from the emptiness of it, uh, the unfulfillment of it, from just wondering what other God could there be, to turn from that, to know the true God, uh, to not be judged and condemned by him and have life uh, through him, uh, through his son. Right, there's, there's a beauty to it uh, there's an impressive turn of how Paul speaks to it. He speaks with uh, wisdom and a wisdom from the Spirit as, as he does this. Uh, but he also speaks just plainly uh, the truth of the Bible. He takes what the, the need that they even see and recognize and speaks Scripture into it, moving to help uh, toward that need. Let me just try to put that in terms of the emptiness uh, we mentioned earlier, right, uh, the emptiness of idolatry. Put that in terms of the uh, context of the emptiness. Well, Plenty of college students would admit the the experience of emptiness, one way or another, on their life and the various attempts uh, attempts to fulfill it. You go be more specific with this, but what Paul's doing is saying, essentially, the emptiness that you feel, uh, the emptiness that you know, and that you're trying to fill, I can tell you about that. my religion, the scripture, it says something about that. It says something about that emptiness, and it says something about how what fills it. it. Uh, that God, God made us, and God gave us life, and gave us longing for relationship with him. And um, that emptiness, if you want to go, C.S. Lewis speaks of it as a, as a God-shaped void. That there's, a, there's a sense where we're not filled if we're, if we're out of place, out of, out of belonging with him. That he's the only thing that fills that and says, here, now I have belonging, now I have purpose, now I have place. Uh, now I have a love that doesn't just get pushed away, that undergirds me and gives me uh, stability. Right, scripture uh, speaks of that, and you can speak to one another. The emptiness that you're trying to fill, Scripture says something about that about who God is. But but also that there there's this call to repentance that Paul's doing. We that, that, that emptiness is partially there because, because we refuse to have God filling it. So we don't want God just just being there. Right? And and so so then every attempt that we that we have to fill that emptiness with something besides God is, is an affront to him. Right? Saying, I'm lonely. I don't want a relationship with you. <laughs> I'm lonely, but can you go somewhere else? I want to have other people come fill this void, not you. I'm <laughs> lonely, but I don't want your friendship, right? Um, but that's the way we do a lot of times. I'm bored. I don't want the fulfillment of being part of your kingdom purposes. of oh, walking where you call me to. I'm insecure. I'm unwilling to let you love me. Uh, I want to feel valuable and worthwhile and beautiful, but I don't want it to rest in in who you've made me and how I reflect you. I, I, I want to see it in the mirror. I want to see it in someone else's face as they look at me. I worry about my actions and I strive for success and I want it and I never know if it's enough, but I don't want it from Christ having stood in my place and achieved all righteousness and given himself for me. I want to see it on a diploma. I want to see it in the grade. I want to see it uh, in, <clears throat> in others' eyes as they look at look at me. Right? So often we can push and say, here's this emptiness, but God, I don't want you in it. Uh, and God calls in repentance to turn to him that, that he's affronted by that. Uh, And it should pain us to see that and we should have a longing for God's glory and for other people that there's something that meets that emptiness, uh, that fills it with the fullness of God's love. Jesus makes his people uh, uncomplacent uh, as witnesses to his truth, the truth and the love that he has shown uh, to you, that he's demonstrated, uh, and he urges you, urges us uh, to move towards others. To move toward the need that we see around, them with care, to point pe- to people to what fills that. So hurting, uh, helping, the third point is including the the hoping. Here comes Paul, and he steps out of uh, <coughs> this conversation, and it must have been hard. These few conversations, and they led to this large audience in this great venue, and he uh, speaks great. Speech, but just over the truth uh, of the gospel. And then what is there? A whole lot of people mocking? Talking about someone raised from the dead? What is is this? This is this is all this guy has to say. There's other people like, we want to hear you more about this. He like he's talking about the very thing that they acknowledge that they don't know God and why their ignorance is wrong, but how God is real and they can know him, and they go. I don't really get what you're saying, but I want to hear other things. This discussion is kind of fun. Can we, can we talk again? Okay, maybe. Uh, and walks out of it. Right? Hope, though. I think one of the biggest things that leads uh, to complacency is the loss of, loss of hope. Now, You can take on uh, world poverty. Uh, you can take on hunger, uh, racism, or human trafficking. And that's great, but then sometimes when you start to engage in it, it can be so hard to see progress. It's so hard to wonder, how does what you're doing matter? Now, what does it change? or well, just it can be painful to watch uh, friends, uh, or family, uh, classmates empty uh, and, and unfulfilled and unwilling to look to Jesus. It's been painful for Paul uh, to leave the Areopagus with some mocking and most missing the point and wondering what's happening. But there's hope. And there's hope not in just Paul being wise enough or the Athenians finally getting it or problematic because they don't uh, get it. Uh, There's hope because Jesus is reigning, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, because he has sent out his spirit into his people and is drawing people to himself. And so he's calling people. So as Paul uh, is speaking, people are hearing. And while there's many that are mocking, he goes out not knowing what's happening. And some people follow him and join him. And believed. And the church started in Athens because Paul was waiting. And he hurt. And he cared. And he moved toward people. And God used it. Uh, and God brought Hinesias the Areopagite and Damaris, this woman, and others with them, embracing Jesus, following him, searching out the scriptures, and leading on up from it. And God's kingdom continues. Uh, And what I keep coming back to is I care for y'all, as I care for this campus, and I try to, like, not hurt, and I need to engage the hurt, is I need to be reminded of the hope that, yes, God is working. And, yes, God's working in me, and God's working in you, and, yes, he fills the emptiness, and, yes, he's enough, and, yes, when there's a full of idolatry and full of emptiness, it still lets us move toward that because Jesus is reigning. He's doing something. He's bringing his kingdom forward. And he calls you into it. He calls you into it with your doubts, with your need, with your emptiness, with your hurt. To come to him and find his love and his son that's enough for you, enough for everyone that you know, enough for the universe and for all things that he will make right and make new. He calls us into it.